regular listeners of this podcast will know that I am a sucker for a great time travel novel. And my friend Nicole Galland, literary manager, dramaturg, historical novelist, has now co-written with Neil Stevenson The Rise and Fall of Dodo, which is just out in paperback. Am I right? You were a historical novelist. Now, are you a sci-fi novelist? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 596, Nicole Gallon's Dodo. Nicole Galland has appeared on the podcast before talking about I. Iago, her fictional memoir of the great villain from Shakespeare's Othello. And she joins me this week to talk about her latest novel, The Rise and Fall of D.O.D.O., which she wrote with Neil Stevenson. This book pushes all my buttons in a good way. It's a time travel story that the San Francisco Chronicle called a high-stakes techno-farce with brains and heart, which describes it really well, I think. I loved the rise and fall of Dodo and have given it as a gift and because it's just been released in paperback and because, coincidentally, yesterday was Nicole's birthday. Happy birthday, Nicole. It seems like the perfect time to share with you our conversation about her wonderful book. I began by observing that maybe the leap from historical historical novelist to sci-fi novelist isn't that big a leap at all. It's funny, an historical novelist is a kind of a time traveler. That's true. Yes, that's true. My my editor, Jennifer Brell at HarperCollins, I'm very, very grateful that she has enough faith in me that she lets me sort of keep rebranding myself. They generally don't like that. They they sort of want you to like do whatever it is that you do. And that just makes it easier for marketing to sell. Um, I, I am, I have too many interests in too many places. And, and so far, luckily that's actually worked out. Okay. So the way that, but, um, the way that I went from being an historical novelist to writing, to being perhaps now a sci-fi novelist is, uh, Neil had read the fool's tale, which was my first novel and he had blurbed it very kindly. Um, then he invited me to join him and five other writers for a project called the Mongoliad which we wrote over the course of a couple of years, intending it to be an online-only serialized historical novel with magical elements. Wow. And eventually that, eventually, this is a very long story short, that got published into a trilogy by Amazon, um, the imprint 47 North, when Amazon decided to really confuse people by publishing books. Uh, We were one of the flagship books. We were one of the very first ones. And it was a trilogy. And they all, all the guys, it was six guys and me, they all live out in Seattle. So I would occasionally get, like, go out there and we would have story conferences. And then once the book started coming out, I'd go out for for the author, you know, for the launch events. And when I went out for the third one, I thought, well, this has been really fun. Um, I guess this is the end of an era. And in between events, Neil took me into his living room and said, so I've got this idea for this story and I'd kind of like to develop it and write it with you and just tell me if you think it's absurd. And so he started to sort of talk about the the basic premise of, um, of the rise and fall of Dodo and primarily from the magic versus technology perspective. 
And not that I really put magic or mysticism into my historical fiction, but I, I grappled with enough of it when we were writing the Mongoliad. Plus, he knows that I can handle the historical element of it. That I think if you're writing a story that's history, that's, you know, like magic versus science, he and I are in many ways a, a good match. And your heroine, Melisande Stokes, um, also uh, comes up to meet and work with a guy named Tristan Lyon. And my first question as I was reading it is the relationship between your two heroes, does that mirror in any way the relationship, you, your writing partnership with Neil? It's that's that's a great question, which we were asked several times on the tour. And I think the best the closest thing to an answer is not in terms of personal dynamic. Obviously, I mean, first of all, we're both married to other people. So right. so that like that nascent crushy thing isn't isn't there. But his brain works like Tristan's and mine works like Mel's. So there's definitely an element of um, and I think I, I was going to say our senses of humor are similar, but Tristan doesn't really have a sense of humor. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And, and Neil does. Neil has a fabulous sense of humor. Yeah, Tristan's very Tristan's very earnest. And how would you descri- how would you describe your heroine, Mel? Oh, you know, I had to live in her head for so long that it would almost be like trying to describe myself and I don't know how I would do that. She is scholarly and reserved, but she has a very dry sardonic wit. Um she can, she's, she is more likely than he is to swear, but she does it in a very under, she does it, she does it the way really smart people do, not as like an expression of, of aggravation, but more, um, sardonic is a term that comes to mind, but I wouldn't want that to be the primary word. Clearly I'm just doing a terrible job. Of, um, <laughs> you uh, can write her, but you can't describe her. That's probably fine, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the, one of the takeaways I had from her is that she is a great improviser. Um, she has great knowledge of a great many things and is able to roll with many, many sort of metaphorical punches that are thrown her way in the course of the action of the novel. And that makes her very resourceful um, in a lot of different situations that I don't think she woke up that morning thinking she was going to land it, <laughs> right? I, I, I agree with that. That's I don't think that I would have thought of saying that, but now that you say it's one of those things that you, a person doesn't know about themselves till they hear it. Right. I, <laughs> well, and, and, and again, I've, uh, I've gone on about my, my love for my love time, tra- time travel novels and uh, I also love a book and I love a story in a movie that some critics say well it doesn't know what it wants to be this book clearly knows what it wants to be but it's but it's the, the, the dodo is a thing that is able to encompass all the threads that you want to talk about and all the threads that you want to talk about I love what you talked about uh, technology versus magic um, 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 a, a course of history um, our our are witches real? You know, is science, is this scientific thing real? And if it is, are we allowed to use it? And what will it do if we do use it? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, w- also bureaucracy. If people want to read about bureaucracy, we, we've got that covered too. Well, <laughs> and in that sense, it reminded me of Jasper Ford's The Air Affair, which is also oh. a bit... 
<laughs> big satire on 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 bureaucracy, but very yes. funny, very funny. Yeah. I remember when I was reading it, I was texting you pictures of some of the bureaucratic reports that you had written. You know, it full <laughs> full of jargon and 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 unexpected moments of humor. It was it, it was just great. I, I mean, it seems to me that this is not you. Or if you were a historical novelist and you're now a science fiction novelist, you're just still writing the same books. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, I, I, I think so yeah. Well, I mean, in this one, because you know, it's not a spoiler to say that it's about time travel because that's what it's about. Right. Um, I had an opportunity to write extensive stories that are set 500 years ago, a thousand years, you know, and um, so I still get to delve into the research. I had so much fun researching uh, 1640 Boston, because that wasn't an era that I knew about. And, and it was fun to remind myself what it's like to discover an era. Um, but I, I, there's a freedom to write about any given era in whatever voice I want, because I'm not actually writing historical fiction. I'm writing a contemporary person um, recording what happened when they went back. Yeah. So I can yeah. sort of invent whatever voice I want for the various um, various uh, subplots. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, uh, well, and you can visit all, I mean, it makes your work harder, your research work harder, but you can visit so many different eras. Yes, although we kind of cheated in that way, which was when um, Neil said, so they need to go back and they need to do some kind of, uh, crusade. Is there some, what, what crusade would you recommend? And I said, ah, yes, I wrote a novel about a crusade. If we could make it that crusade, then I don't have to do my research all over again. Cause I'm walking around. I wrote that like 12 years ago or something, but I've still got all of the basic plot points of the fourth crusade in my head and crossed, which is the novel, my novel about the fourth crusade. I very deliberately put so much actual history into it that all I had to do to research this book was to reread that book. <laughs> this is Christopher Moore, the author of Fool and the Serpent of Venice, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Our last live performances of this spring 2018 begin in two weeks on May 31st at the Pittsburgh Public Theater, where we'll be performing William Shakespeare's long-lost first play abridged for four and a half weeks until July 1st, 2018. We have a bunch of performances of the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged and the ultimate Christmas show abridged scheduled for this fall 2018, which we hope to get online in June. You can see us online, reducing Wagner's Ring Cycle, the first five seasons of Lost, and Shakespeare's plays for the TV game show Jeopardy. And you can see us on your bookshelves or coffee table if you purchase Pop-Up Shakespeare, illustrated by the magnificent Jenny Maisels and on sale worldwide. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with novelist Nicole Galland about her book, The Rise and Fall of Dodo, which is now available in paperback. I, I hope it's not giving too much away, too, to, to, uh, to note that there is a Groundhog Day aspect to, yes. to yeah. uh, Mel's adventures. Was that part of the fun for you is uh, knowing what's been done 
in this sort of genre and creating your own world that does something similar but wildly different? Yeah, I think that definitely was um, one of the things that I did when we had finished writing it, but we knew we were going to get edit notes back. So part of me thought if I want to change something like I still have that option um, uh, is I read a lot of other time travel books looking to see if there was if I felt like, oh, can we steal that little tidbit? It was just really fun to see that there was. Um, that I was very happy with what we had done. I didn't feel like, oh, I wish we had done that, nor did I feel like, oh no, someone got to it before us. I mean, I really, I genuinely felt, I who am so hard on myself, mm. felt very pleased that we did what we did and as much as we did and no more than, we, like I, I just, I felt like we hit the golden mean. I was happy about that. Well, and you created a world in which many stories do happen, um, but you also created a world where I, I finished the book and I went, I'm ready for the next one. And oh, good, because I'm writing it. That's what I wanted to know. That's what I wanted to find out. Um, are you able to tell us anything about what the next one will be? Yes. Um, I think I can... I, I want to make sure I don't say anything that would you know, sort of inadvertently be a spoiler. Right. Um, but because it's this particular podcast, I will tell you that it is set one of the subplots the, the what is currently the main subplot things evolve while you're writing so it may just be one of a number but i'm pretty sure it'll still be the main one um takes place backstage during the rehearsals and performance of the original production of macbeth wow <laughs> yeah you my so. consider my whistle wetted <laughs> <laughs> um the, what's funny though is i I think because when you're a Shakespeare geek to a certain degree, when you've, when you've dived in deeply enough, as I know that you have, you become so aware of all of the other people that are down there in the weeds with you. And there's a pressure of, oh, oh my God, I don't want to get anything wrong. I want to, I want to like really make this worth. I, I, so there's a, there's a funny pressure that I feel about the arena that I know the best that I don't, there's another subplot that takes place in, in fourth century Sicily. And I'm not at all worried about that one, even though at the moment, I don't know a thing about fourth century Sicily. <laughs> well, uh, can you fall back on the dodge that, well, it's a time travel novel. So any mistakes are because you've stumbled into an alternate timeline. I, well, especially given how we consider history in, in Dodo, I suppose I could, but I don't, that would be an excuse after the fact in a worst case scenario. I really want to feel like, oh, I've got this. I've got this. Um, and I'm having a hard time getting out of my own way a little bit. Um, also, you know, there's certain one of the things that I am also happy with about Dodo is the the voices of the various narrators. It's an epistolary novel. So everything is is it everything is a document. Nobody there is no there's not one single page in the book where a narrator even a first-person narrator, is telling a contemporary reader a story that belongs in a novel. Everyone believes that they're writing journals or letters or, or you know, after-action reports or whatever. And so there's certain personalities and certain voices that get developed, um, Gronya and Mel being, I think, the two dominant ones. And they are their voices are determined partly by their circumstances. And so in the sequel, their circumstances are so different that it's hard to figure out how to maintain the, uh, the same exact tone. 
Interesting. When the situation is different. So I probably shouldn't be um, describing it by telling you all of the things that are troublesome. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, to catch me on a day where I'm noticing all those things. Well, I I think I think part of the fun of the podcast is getting to see how the sausage is made. Yeah, it's it's definitely a messy sausage at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I maintain that the best time travel novels are also incredible romances. And I thought this was a romance, too but not in a kind of a classic way. It was almost, it was almost chaste, <laughs> you know, <laughs> an almost a chaste romance, but there was, there was this pulse underneath yes. it. And it was clearly in the offing or a potential or a possibility that may or may not get resolved. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, which, yeah. but, but that also strikes me as, a good metaphor for the, the the resolution of your time travel story may or may not. It may or not, right? Uh, yes, that's um, true. Uh, well, uh, all right. So you've given us a little tease about the sequel. Can you at least tell us when you think it will come out and we can read it? I'd say maybe fall of twenty twenty, but that really is just a guess. Well, clearly, I need to let you go so you can get back <laughs> on this. No, I, I really feel more productive talking about it than doing it. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. You can find Nicole Gallon's The Rise and Fall of Dodo at your favorite bookshop or online. And you can follow Nicole on Twitter at Nicole Galland. Then send us your rise and fall via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also engage with us and other fans on Facebook or Twitter. You can find easy links to all these social networks at our website, reducedshakespeare.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Tishner. And the RSC is now on Instagram, too, at Reduced Shakespeare. Your company. Thanks as always to Not Extinct But Still a Dodo Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Daniel Mothershed. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to another of our favorite novelists, Christopher Moore, the author of Fool, Lamb, The Serpent of Venice, and his latest novel, Noir, and who I would have never gotten to meet without being introduced to him by young Nicole Gallant. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 596-1788ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I love it. Is that on your business cards? Nicole Galland, walking encyclopedia of the Fourth Crusade. <laughs> no, I, I should do that. No, I should definitely do that. Um, that was before I was middle-aged, so I retained all of that, you know. Middle-aged no. historian in every definition of that word. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.